And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello, welcome to the TFO Football Podcast. Me again, no Joe, no Alex, no warm embraces, no cool hands, or however Joe says it. But Nick Miller's coming on to talk about Forest. Actually, it's a bit of a broader chat. We talked to Nick about all kinds of things, and it's um, it's great fun. I haven't seen Nick for a couple of months, obviously, because of the uh, the conditions in the UK. But really nice to catch up, talk about Forest, talk about Forest past, their present, their future, also about his family's links with Forest. Uh, and his relationship with his parents. It's its a really good listen. I, I hope people enjoy it. So um, without any further ado, let's get going. Okay, so you know how on a lot of podcasts, a lot of very popular podcasts, they have that little bit where they record the the conversation before the podcast where no one's really talking about the subject they've been brought on to talk about but it's kind of a, a cool way to to begin do you know that nick you just kind of you've just walked in the room maybe someone's got a coffee you know you, you, you you're talking about um your journey here something like that and then you go oh hello the 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 lights on red. Let's we're recording. Exactly. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a composed professional broadcaster. This is just how easy this all looks. I'm not actually you know in the background, sweating profusely and worried that I don't know enough about the subject we're here to talk about. It's it's that, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're giving off the vibe of relaxed professionalism. <laughs> okay, so you're here to. So I, I brought you on um, under the premise of giving the opportunity to have a bit of a moan about Forest, um, mm. and we will do that. Uh, I shall be your your Dr. Melfi, and you can be your, well, you just, you know, be you. Um, but how are you? I haven't spoken to you for ages. I'm all right. I'm okay. I'm, um, you know, everything, the, the world is tumbling around our ears, but um, I'm kind of staying indoors a lot. So you know, it's, broadly speaking, not happening as far as I'm concerned. So, you, Are you in an area that's been locked down? Well, we, we I'm in South London, so um, we are being moved into tier two uh we're recording this on friday morning um so by midnight tonight we'll officially be in tier two lockdown um still slightly unclear as to what that means but i think it just means just stay indoors for a bit so you know try and do that and not go absolutely tonto and what this is the thing isn't it because i i read through the tiers again yesterday and they all sound very very similar I mean, I don't really, I mean, I don't want to turn this into a kind of a rant about coronavirus because I don't think the world needs more coronavirus content, I don't think. But it's, it's, this is, this is a problem. I, I'm confused as to what I can and can't do, um, depending on which part of the country I'm in. Um, and it's baffling. It's absolutely baffling. It's good that um, everything is fine and proceeding as normal in, in the world of football to, um, to distract us from the chaos of the real world isn't it it sure is i mean uh it's been a very normal football weekend mm. uh, <laughs> um but before we get to that though like you um what you what's your job title now uh, totally because obviously totally is now part of the athletic um mm. and we all get super important sounding job titles i think my the, the the job title on my contract is um senior writer and i well i have various responsibilities i still work on the totally football show um and I do the Totally Football website, social media. Um, I'm also involved with producing a number of other podcasts, which a couple of which are out at the moment. One is called The Next Big Thing, which is about the most promising young players in the Premier League. Um, there is another one called Beyond the Headline, which is kind of what it sounds like, really, which we're currently working on one about the uh, the Neymar transfer from Barcelona to PSG and the kind of ripple effects of that. Is that going to be uh, like a, a documentary on, on yeah, that transfer? Yeah, do- documentary style podcast. Um, at the moment it's looking like it's going to be in three parts um, about you know how, how the transfer came about and what 
the wider impact of it was. Um, obviously, uh, Barcelona used the money to uh, rally it rather unwisely by Felipe Coutinho and Usman Dembele, and then the money that um, Liverpool got for Coutinho allowed them to buy the spine of a Champions and Premier League winning team. So um, I'm not sure when that's going to be out, but um, it should be interesting. Got another question for you because um, we've both been through this situation recently. Um, do you miss match reporting? Because obviously it's not really part of your job anymore. It's not really part of my job anymore. Do you miss the Saturdays and the Sundays and the midweek games? Sometimes I kind of I miss, but it's I don't think it's necessarily um, missing it on a sort of individual level. I just miss it in connection with missing the rest of normal football. I miss being at games with crowds and I miss having the sort of the very different perspective you get from being at the game rather than watching on TV and I miss the kind of I don't know I miss the sort of visceral parts of football rather than just the sort of because obviously you are you're you're obviously one step removed when you're watching on TV anyway but when there isn't a crowd and you're having to choose between silence and piped in crowd noise you're a step removed from it as well so I'm not especially missing for for various reasons you know traipsing up and down the country going to games and getting back at weird times and you know not seeing my partner um, as much as I really should do so I'm not uh, it's at the moment I'm not I'm missing it enormously, and I'm enjoying sort of watching football as a as a fan again to a to a to a point. Um, but I, I am. It is also a worry that it's it's just like a kind of like it's a sort of muscle that you um, that not not engaging with a particular game in the sort of intense way that you generally do when you're at a game and you have to write something specifically about that game um you kind of worry that 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 muscle is going to get flabby and um you just you drift away from kind of being on top of what's going on and you drift away from having a sort of more informed opinion about games um because it's very easy when you're when there's no kind of professional imperative to watch you know game on Sunday afternoon to just kind of go oh, I don't really need to watch this I'll just kind of go off and make a gravy or something make, um, make a gravy <laughs> yeah you know just, uh, just 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 something else that you that kind of needs doing that you don't necessarily um, you know you don't you wouldn't necessarily have the chance to do if you were you know on the train to Leicester or whatever it, or whatever it is to um, to actually report on a game so it's 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 odd at the moment. I'm still I, I'm I'm missing it less than I thought I was going to. That's the short answer that you were probably looking for. But um, uh, whether when um, crowds come back and uh, if I'm still not going to games quite as much, then uh, maybe I'll miss it more. Then you know, it's funny. It's like um, some of the hardships are actually what I do miss. I mean, take the current situation out of the equation. No. All right, the most exciting part of the week was you get up early. If you're going to, like, um, I live in the south, um, I did, um, and if you were going north, you'd have to get up at, like, you know, 6, 7 o'clock in the morning, and you'd be at the station if it was winter and it was still dark. You know, you're sitting on the station, you get on the train, first coffee, and you're going somewhere, and you get there, and I, I, was, I was always habitually early for football, so I'd be there, like, if it's a 3 o'clock kickoff, 12.05, you know, because Premier League um, rules mean that you have to you have to open your stadium to the media three hours before kickoff. And I used to love walking around, like you know, not the media parts, but just the empty stadium. Um, I don't know why that. I, I think I just like the um, you know that scene in Goodfellas where they walk through the kitchen. Um, yeah, it, it's a little bit like that because you sort of you're able to kind of go somewhere that nobody nobody else is at that point in time. I think I just like the, the feeling of self-importance. I think that's what, <laughs> that's what we're about to reveal. <laughs> yeah, I, I am allowed in these places. You, you are not. Uni surfs are not. You know, and, and, <laughs> and you get to see things like um, stewards walking around doing their last security checks and concession stands opening up and, like, you know, um, piling up bags of Maltesers and, you know, those weird sort of hot doggy things that you get. Um, you know, where the, where the bread entirely encircles the sausage, that 
don't even I'm not even sure what that's called, but those. Um and it's 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 weird. Um it's uh it's a strange it's a strange thing. Okay. Let's Yeah, let's... I, I I remember when I was at a Brighton game a couple of years ago and I saw um the the, the I think the media entrance is the same as the entrance the referees go in. And I saw the refereeing crew yeah. turn up in this kind of uniform. Yeah, they were all in uniform, yeah. all in the kind of the, the same tracksuit. Or they were, they showed up in this kind of blacked out windowed Land Cruiser or some or you know minibus or something like that. Um, and it felt a little bit like seeing your teacher in the shops, yes. or you know something like that. Yeah. Just kind of officials out in the wild, but not quite out in the wild. And it was something that you'd probably only see if you a were there ludicrously early and b were allowed in the kind of media section so yeah that, that weirdly i agree those little things i i quite miss and they're kind of when they when they when they go onto the pitch and they're still in their uniform they, they wear like um dark suits and sort of um tan brogues um <laughs> it's, it's a funny little outfit mm. um but it, they before before the stadium opens they go out onto the pitch and they um they're with the ball and they test the goal line technology either end and it's always the referee who dribbles the ball from the halfway line. And there's like, you can see the kind of the fear of going viral in these people because they get to about, like if it was me and I was, I don't know, if if, if someone wanted, needed me to test goal line technology at White Hot Lane, I think I'm going to go from about 25 yards because you have to, don't you? You have to, you have to, you have to do it with a little bit of, I don't know, a bit of swagger. Referees, invariably, they go almost to the penalty spot before very tamely toe-poking the ball in. It's a, yeah. I feel like that's a, that, that's, that describes some kind of character trait in these people. Yeah, it, it feels like there are only two acceptable ways to do it. You either go for something spectacular, you try the kind of Gareth Bale slash Ronaldo kind of wobble free kick from 30 yards. Or you try and knuckleball it in a pair Yeah, try and, try and knuckleball it. <laughs> or you take it to within six inches of the goal line and absolutely leather it. So they're, they're exactly just, that. They're, they're, anything else seems like a waste of time. It's a waste of opportunity, Nick. It's like yeah. you're there, you're doing it, and it's as if these people have kind of they they they're sort of they they're, they're seeing their future as they're doing it. Be like, oh, you know, Andre Mariner falls on his ass and spoons ball into you know if he was a Craven Cottage into the Thames or something like that, <laughs> and it becomes this massive viral hit. Um, and it's just like, come on, live live a little bit dangerously. Um, right, let's. That, I felt that was pretty good, sort of. Um, cool guy intro to the pod that that worked quite well um we might do that again probably not when joe and alex are here because they won't allow me to but um it was good this time um uh and let's move on to forest so we're gonna get to the agony aunt bit um because i feel like that um involves quite a lot of forest modern history um but let's trace your roots of forest you're a forest fan um i I think i'm right in saying your mum and dad are forest fans too yeah um my well, here's the date, little secret. My dad was a Chelsea fan until he met my mum. Um, uh, they met at university and um, was kind of quickly converted, and just in time as well. They they got married in 1975, I think. Oof, it was. that's good timing. That yeah, is very, very uh, good timing. And first got a, they first got a season ticket. I think the season that Forest got promoted from the second division, um, or this certainly first started going uh, regularly then. Um, and yeah, they were. Uh, Given the choice in 1979, they had they just moved into a new house and they uh, had the choice between buying carpets for the new house or going to the European Cup final in Munich. And um, I'm happy to say they made the correct choice. Good, 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 and, good um, fantastic. Had some fashionable bare floorboards for a little while. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that that and my mum's um, been going since she was very very little. Took me to my first game in 1988, I think it was, which was a 1-0 defeat to Wimbledon, and I was instantly hooked. Um, I I was kind of born at probably the worst possible time to be a Forest fan, because in those kind of first four or five years, Forest went to Wembley five times, I think, um, won a couple of trophies. There was the sort of veneer of success, um that, you know, paled in comparison to the previous, you know, previous success, but the veneer of success um, nonetheless, and it was just close enough to the real glory days for my dad and for, for my mum and for other people to for it to be very 
clear in their memories and then to be able to recall it very quickly. So I was treated to these great tales of when Forrest sat astride English and European football while, you know, <laughs> while having moderate success um, that I could see in front of me. And then from 1993 onwards, it's kind of been a... Not quite uninterrupted downward spiral, but um, you know, downward spiral with a with a few little upticks in it, and um, all the while, sort of celebrating a glorious past. So I wouldn't change it for the world being a Forest fan, but it is pretty tough going sometimes. You know what's interesting about Forest is that I feel like I feel like they occupy quite a unique position because obviously, almost you know most football fans. Um, even if they don't know the texture of it, they're aware of what happened um, with those two European Cups. They know the story. They at least know the outlines of the story. I feel like if you're not a Man United fan and if you're not a Liverpool fan, then you invariably have a little bit of a soft spot for Forest. You know, forgetting obviously Derby County supporters. But like you kind of they represent something which um obviously to every footballer every football fan is like the dream. It's that kind of um that rise it's all the optimism and the kind of the uh thing that keeps you going to football every week because you want to see you want to believe that you can um you can what was the famous quote that um yeah clough and taylor found um, a shipwreck and you know turned it into an ocean liner isn't it and mm. that's the kind of that's the that's the that's the dream as a fan but also um because of where they came from because they're not a man united and because they're not a liverpool um a lot of fans kind of I don't know, I've spoken to people that seem to live vicariously a little bit through what happened to Forrest on the Clough. And it's just a, um, it's a strange thing because also now you look at, if, if you if you know that story well, you know also that it can never happen again, which is a very, I don't know, it's a very difficult thing to to get your head around. It's very dispiriting if you linger on it, actually. Yeah, um, and um, particularly for... Uh, for, for Forest fans of a certain age, maybe, maybe I am slightly protected from it, in, given that I didn't, I wasn't there to um, to kind of really experience the glory days. So I can't quite experience, quite experience the despair that it's never going to happen again. That um, people of the generation older than me do. Um, but it, I mean, on speaking of generational things, I think the the kind of idea of Forest as a kind of um, I mean, it, it, you you very often see these kind of oh, if I designed the Premier League and if I picked you know which teams were Forrester in the always in it. Forrester well, Forrest, I think Forrester are always in it for people of a certain generation. Yeah. Um, and I think that generation is the generation is not disappearing, but I think I think loosely speaking, it's going to be people under the age. It's over over the age of about thirty. I think I think um, Seb, you and I, I think we're a, a, a similar age, and I think we won't mention what that similar age is. But yes, no, we that are. would be yeah. that would be yeah. awfully rude. But um, <laughs> we, I think we are of the last generation to think of Forest as a default big team, just simply because Forest have been haven't been in the Premier League since 1999, and you know, 21 years is a uh, is a is a very long time. It's it's quite literally a lifetime. Um, and so, I mean, why would someone who started watching football in, or started being kind of, um, really aware of football in say 2002 or something like that, why would they think of Forest as a big team? They would just be aware of this kind of side that people older than them talked about with sort of slightly misty eyes and irritating nostalgia. So I think... Even someone, a, a team like Portsmouth, I think, for a, a generation slightly younger than us, if they, if you know, if a thirty-year-old or someone in their late twenties maybe was going to pick a team that are not currently in the Premier League that they think should be in the Premier League or they associate with being a big club, they would pick someone like Portsmouth. So I, I wonder how long the sort of um, nostalgia f- fueled, um, you know elevation of forest as a good slash 
um, romantic team is going to last. It's obviously, <laughs> given that it's based on things that happened 40 years ago, it's already lasted quite a long time. But I wonder how long that is that is actually going to last. Do you think part of this, I mean, like part of what, what I find strange is that, that, that the Forest team that won the European Cups, it's not spoken of in the same way as the Liverpool teams, um, the 68 United team. Um, do you think one of the reasons is the is the people involved in it? Because um, take Clough away, and, and you've got a lot of really engaging personalities, a lot of really brilliant players, but people, but players that don't really exist in the in the kind of the game's consciousness in the same way. Quite unjustly, like if you if you think of someone like well, John McGovern is the obvious one, isn't it? Guy won two two European Cups, and yet he's kind of like if you asked the average, let's say, twenty eight year old whether they'd heard of John McGovern or even John Robertson. Like it's it's strange to me that they kind of they don't occupy the same the same place on the mountain, um, and that's a it's because for instance like we worked together a long time ago when when Tifo had a um, had a website, you went off and, and and did a fabulous interview with um with John Robertson in the pub if I'm if I remember rightly, and you just sat it was and Ga- and Gary Bertels turned up unexpectedly it was wonderful. Gary Bertels once fat shamed me at Molyneux. <laughs> I was I'm not joking. Like I was, I was sat having my meal before, uh, before uh, I can't remember which game it was. A couple of years ago now, and um, well, no, it can't have been about, about a year ago because I was supposed to. I, I did end up getting married, but I was supposed to get married in June of this year. Ended up in August, and um, and I was kind of becoming conscious of my weight. I was like, I've got, to, I've got to lose about a stone. And so, um, one of the the perils of covering football is the buffet and the amount of food that you're exposed to across the course of a working day. And so I sat down. Um, at one of the, the desks at Molyneux and had a salad and Bertels uh, sits down next to me and mocks me for having a salad. I'd never had a conversation before Gary Bertels. Like, the thing is, is what I'm, what I'm, trying, to get, what I'm trying to get at is, firstly, with, with players from, um, with the players who've occupied the same space in the game, so won European Cups before, A, you don't really see them in media areas. B, you know, um, Dennis Law probably doesn't go around fat shaming people for <laughs> eating salads. It's like a slightly different type of person that's come out of the um, out of the, the kind of the, the forest fairy tale. It's just really interesting. Yeah, I think it's partly it's partly that. I mean, not for, for for the majority of the players in that team that it will be the thing they're most famous for. Not not many of them went on to do anything particularly big um after the winning those european cups or, or winning the um winning the league in 1978 peter shilton obviously is, is yeah. an, an exception viv anderson went on to play for united and arsenal I'm not sure he won a huge amount actually but um trevor francis is is playing by his transfer fee though isn't he immortalized by, by the transfer fee and the, the winning goal in the, in the 79 final he kind of went on to have a, a decent career but kind of ruined by I mean, it's essentially derailed by um, uh, an Achilles injury. I think yeah. he had in just before the second European Cup final. Um, but you know, R- Robertson declined relatively quickly after that. McGovern um, didn't uh, went on to play for Bolton. I think he did. Um, Ian Bowyer kind of came and went. Martin O'Neill didn't really have much of a playing a huge amount of a playing career after Forest. Similar with Larry Lloyd and. Um, Kenny Burns, uh, Frank Clark. I think I'm right in saying that the the United seventy nine European Cup final was his last ever game. So uh, t- Tony Woodcock, I think, went on to um, to do quite well, do very well in Germany. Um, Archie Gemmell um, had his moment, obviously. Archie, the uh, the yeah, but yeah, but but even that was that that was the seventy eight World Cup. So is it? Yeah. But that was even before the um, the European Cup winning teams. So I think that's that's kind of part of it, and it's it also feeds into this thing that I know the players in that team are still slightly I don't know whether bitter about bitter is quite the right word but they are still they're still aware that they were seen at the time as this the, the, the phrase they all use is ragtail and uh, ragtail bob team that was just this kind of collection of misfits thrown together and you know and um uh you know the the great alchemy of Clough and Taylor Merge these collection of relatively average talents into a team that did some extraordinary things for three years, 
which to an extent is true, but I, I know that they are, uh, again, bitter's probably not the right word, but they they think they don't get the credit that they deserve. They've been shortchanged. They've been shortchanged individually. Yeah. They, they all obviously speak with great reverence about Clough, and it's quite it, it's quite interesting that it's not always necessarily that they think I wasn't given the credit for my talent that I deserved. They will often point to to teammates like the, 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 and Robertson is is the is the big one that that you know people like. Bertels and, and Woodcock and John McGovern will talk for hours about what a genius John Robertson was and how he wasn't given the credit he deserved and how he wasn't elevated to the kind of um, the sort of heights of praise that um, he might have done if he had played for Liverpool, for example, which is the sort of inevitable thing with A, playing for a relatively small provincial club, but B, the star of that team wasn't any of the players, it was Clough. Which is quite a unique thing. I mean, mm. you could, I mean, you can't even really make that argument for Busby because obviously, best Lord Charlton, um, Liverpool. You know, you have a that succession of dynastic managers who you know um, sit alongside the players that they they coached. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven US based live customer service from Discover. Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. What's John Robertson like? Because he, he's the one that sort of, um, I know this Forest team through, um, you know, the, the books that have been written about them, the documentaries that have been made, like I don't think if you were to if you were to write a, a book about that forest period, um, I would probably buy it within an hour. It's weird. I, I kind of have this strange attachment to it. I have nothing to do with. I don't think I've even been to Nottingham before. Um, don't support Nottingham Forest. I don't have any kind of. There's no. There's no. There's no crossover in the Venn diagram between me and. But it's just. It's just a fascinating period. But he. Um, the stories with him. I love the idea of. Um, of what he was, the kind of the, you know, the the, the character that um that Peter Taylor was kind of lecturing by the hotel swimming pool, um versus a player that like I mean I've heard the comparison that you it's it's um without probably the pace but Robertson is Ryan Giggs but with a right foot, um yeah which is just a it's an amazing thing to imagine but you you've spent time with him what's he what's he like as a person he he, he always seems to be a guy who has very very little ego um certainly in comparison to um his talent which i think probably stems from the, from what we were just talking about that, that that he isn't kind of given the credit that a lot of people think he deserves and with that doesn't uh, not inevitably but with that kind of comes um a relative lack of ego he's sort of he's always on the sort of few occasions I've been in his company and other people have praised him, he's always very bashful about it, and y- you can see that to a certain extent in um, in the film as well in uh, in I believe Miracles, um, where he the, the 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 rest of the team line up to call this guy a genius, but he is very sort of. Um, very modest about the whole thing and he's kind of saying well you know I was you know I was a good player and I knew Cloughy thinks I was a good player but he doesn't have the sort of um, outward self-confidence that um, someone of his talent and someone who is kind of consistently praised by his peers anyway um, that you might think and it's just a kind of generally quite an unassuming guy he's not even when he was a player you he it was the thing my my dad is my dad's favourite player, and my dad always used to say he's never seen anyone that looks less like a footballer than John <laughs> Robertson, which is part, partly because he had a little belly and partly because he was just this kind of slightly shambling guy who wore scruffy clothes and you know always had a had his had a cigarette on the go. Only seen to to own one pair of shoes throughout his entire career. <laughs> yeah, that kind of thing. Um, and even now, you, you know, obviously, you, you you meet ex-professional footballers now, and you can 
uh, and and you can sort of that the, the, there is an awareness that this guy um, was a professional athlete at some point in his life. Robertson, the, you, you know, you, there's there's no there's, there's 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 no hint of that now, as really there wasn't when he was a player. Okay, so we we'll probably have um, you know a few younger people that um, uh, a um, don't know about this period of. Uh, Forest history, but also don't really know anything about John Robertson. So pause the podcast and go and um, just type his name into YouTube. There's um, there's actually a wonderful like highlight reel of Forest uh, progress to the first European Cup final, set to I think "Born to Run" by Springsteen. Um, you just see what, what a good player John Robertson is, and you can actually find out there's a there's a 20 minutes of Robertson highlights somewhere. Might not still be there, but it, it was there a few years ago. So see if you can dig that out. Um, we will go for a quick break and be back again very shortly. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Okay, Nick. So you're you're too young for that that to have to have seen that period of forest history firsthand. What's your um, what's your favourite forest memory? My favourite forest memory is quite a sort of personal one, really. It was a um, the game against it was a game against Derby a few years ago, and it uh, when Forests won in the last minute. Um, ben Osborne, a uh, homegrown player who's actually from Derby and his family were Derby supporters. Uh, he's now moved on to Sheffield United, obviously. Um, uh, he scored a 92nd-minute goal, I think, for us, 1-2-1. And I was there with my dad, who a few months earlier had had a heart attack and was, um, you know, as as heart attacks go, it was relatively minor, but it's still, it's, he had a heart attack. And um, just the... I, 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 I have been to very few Forest games over the years as a fan without dad and it's never the same when you know he isn't there so with all of that and the the the, the, you know the very real prospect that he wasn't going to be around anymore um and him being there and you know us being together together at the game for this kind of incredible climax at moment it was also Stuart Pearce's I think penultimate game as forest manager it was certainly very close to the end of his of his tenure, and if Forrest had lost that game, then he would almost certainly have been sacked, as he was, you know, a, a couple of weeks later. Um, but it was just this confluence of unlikely events that came together to produce the kind of perfect moment of of being a football fan. Um, you know, it, it it for for fans of bigger clubs, that kind of thing might feel quite small time. It was just one game. Um, admittedly, quite a big game against local rivals, but it was just one game in a in a season where Forest didn't really do very much. Certainly didn't win anything, but the way I've kind of grown up watching watching football and going to see Forest, it was incredibly important to me, and I really should have just jacked it in at that point. I, I, I you know, uh, as we were kind of alluding to earlier on. Forest aren't going to win the European Cup again. They're not going to win the Premier League unless something absolutely implausible happens. And, you know, at the moment, they're making a very good go of never being able to get in the Premier League again. So that sort of thing is what I still go to football for, to kind of search for a moment like that. And I'm not really sure it's... It's um, it's, it's going to take quite a confluence of events to top that. Um, and really, I should have just quit while I was ahead and never gone to another football game as a fan ever again but you know I've um, I've been back and I went to the uh, Forest Derby game the following season where I think Forest lost 5-0 so you know ruin that one you know there's something interesting in there because like um, 
like when, when when life throws up its traumas and like my, my dad had a heart attack about 20 years ago as well and like you know it's just it's a scary 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 thing when it happens but when, when these things happen when they rattle you when there's a kind of like an uncertainty in life whether it be like a family thing or a, like a job thing or a relationship thing it's amazing how how much comfort football seems to offer like you can have a i'll give you an example it, it's 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 very different i i um I was I was going through it'd be about goodness about twelve or thirteen years ago now, um, and I was going through um, a, a really difficult time with the job I was in at the moment, big old recession uh, out in the world, and it was a company that was linked to the property industry. Um, shows how weird my career has been, um, and wasn't very happy. Um, was living in a real shithole of a place in London that I could barely afford anyway, um, and I remember um, it was the night that. Uh, Tottenham drew four four with um, with Arsenal at um, at the Emirates, and um, I went to the pub to watch it with a couple of friends, and uh, I remember getting utterly hacked off um, at four two, and leaving. Just you know, you're having the proper strop, you know, just like fuck this, I'm you know whatever. Um, I think Alan Hutton had just passed it straight to Adebayor for the third time that night or something and it just it broke me it's like, you know when, when football throws something up which makes you hemorrhage inside just think I can't cannot have any more of this and I just walked out and I was like I'll just walk home whatever and um, I was walking back and uh, between that happening um, and me walking to the next pub I walked past the next pub um, at the moment that um, Genus uh Makes a full three, runs up, takes the ball off Gal Clichy, um, curls it into Arminia's far post, and it's full three. And you know, running, off the, uh, running the um, uh, running the ball back to the halfway line. And I went into the pub, and um, obviously everyone knows uh, Aaron Lennon ends up scoring, making making it four four. Um, and it was it was incredible. There were just all these. This was in South London, um, so you know, very much not Tottenham territory. But there are all these Tottenham fans in there, like, and, and they all. It just felt at the time like everyone was just as hacked off with everything to do with their life as I was at that moment. And it was just this wild mess of celebration in the pub. Like, And there were people, you know, this was 2000 and 2008, I think. So, like, this was like, every pub in the country has gone gastro by then. You know, there isn't the idea of going to, to, to pubs to watch football anymore. It's kind of, you know, it's on the way out, which is desperately, desperately sad. Um, and it was just like, it was one of those moments where football just shows up for you. Gives you a little bit of an adrenaline shot at a bit of a um, a little bit of a boost, at a really timely moment. And so, and when you say that, that's kind of it seems all inconsequential, like um, to, you know, to fans of big clubs. I think anybody that's ever followed a football club will, will kind of relate to that weird little habit the game has of just being able to, to pick you up and just say, "Yeah, it'll be shit in a week's time." Don't get me wrong; it was probably for six months after that. But at, the, at, at that precise moment, it's just there. And it's just like, it's, you know, here's a, here's a thing. Here's a nice thing for you. And in your case, here's a nice thing for you and your dad because it's been really, really rubbish for a while. I think that's the magic of the game. Yeah, and it just, just <clears throat> provides some kind of normalcy as well. I, I, wrote, I wrote a piece about this a few years ago and I included this next bit in it as well. But um, the uh, earlier in the year that um, dad had a heart attack, my sister... Um, was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma, and um, you know it was a it was a quite a spicy year, um, and um, I went back up to Nottingham on the day that England played Uruguay in the, t- the 2014 World Cup, and we all kind of gathered at my parents' house. A few other family members were, were there as well. We watched the game, and we kind of weren't really we didn't really care about England losing. We weren't massively involved with the kind of intricacies of the game but it was just this kind of thing to firstly take your mind off the kind of awful realities of everything um that was just there when you needed it and you know it just provided some kind of some some sort of normalcy and something to to you know take your mind off things that genuinely matter which isn't just obviously isn't to say that football doesn't matter but it matters less than than those other things um and you can use it to to um 
distract life, yourself. That's that's the word I was going to use. It's life's great distraction. That's its role, really. Like for some people, it becomes a little bit more than that. Like the people that sort of, um, you know, hang around at outside stadiums on non-match days, hoping to be interviewed by Sky Sports. Like for that kind of person, don't know. But like, I think a lot of people, it's kind of, it's the other thing, you know, that you that you have and the, the other place to go. Um, so Monday Forest. Um, moments like that well, let's skip to the immediate present um, Sabri Lamucci is gone um, championship manager legend from the 90s obviously um, what went wrong there because I, I, I'm not going to pretend to have um, paid a huge amount of attention to Forest last season but like I saw the game against Leeds which I thought they were excellent in um, there's a lot of players there that are quite talented really like the goalkeeper by the way I think he's, he's excellent um, what happened towards the end of last season I know I'm building up to that Stoke game and what happened with Swansea and um, asking you to relive what is obviously a big trauma, but like it doesn't, from from an outsider, it felt like something that was typically Forest, but without me really being able to explain why that is. I mean, the the sort of, the actual answer to what happened is that the, you can, is, in a weird way, you could see in that Leeds game, that Leeds game was the way that Forest could play last season. It was, the, you know, it's a lot of, um, solid defence, but playing on the counter attack and not really having a great deal of possession, and you know doing one thing quite well, which worked until uh, it, it didn't. It wasn't quite as neat as um, as it working until lockdown. But you could kind of split the season up for Forest roughly in that, and that yeah that worked for a little while, and then all of a sudden it didn't work, and it didn't work in quite flamboyant fashion there were a couple of games post lockdown where Forest were quite unlucky not to kind of pick up various wins but equally you could say that they were quite unlucky in the same way in a few on a, on a few different occasions so then you start to think that isn't actually unlucky that's just a recurring problem particularly with conceding late goals and when you have a team that don't score very many goals um only have one striker to speak of, and only really had, um, you know, twelve or thirteen players that you could probably hang your hat on. Um, then that kind of thing is is inevitably going to sort of catch up with you. Um, the sort of mad trolley dash of the around the transfer market this summer is sort of ludicrous enough. At the time of recording, Forest have signed. A mere thirteen players, but by the time people listen to this, it may have ticked up to fifteen. Um, Anthony Knockhart, Anthony Knockhart, will be one of them. It will be one of them. Possibly Camille Grzycki as well coming good player, in. Good player. All you know, good players. But um, it, it compares very unfavorably to the January transfer window when Forest not only didn't really sign anyone, but probably made the team or the squad worse. Um, signed a guy who I felt so sorry for because he, at some point, someone had told him he was a you know a professional footballer, um, <laughs> and you know he had a professional he had a contract to be a professional footballer, so he didn't have uh, it, you know people hadn't really um, dissuaded him of this, this fact, but he he just he, he's I mean, a, 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 and I've had plenty of comparison here. One of the worst footballers I've ever seen. Um, Dear Carby, his name was. We got him, we signed signed him on loan at the last minute from Huddersfield Town, um, and yeah, there was just the, 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 there was it, it would it it's a sort of typically Forest thing um, to just get things a bit wrong and the, the timing of things getting them a bit wrong. If you you want to if you want to go kind of all, all the way back, Forest got into the uh, lost in the playoff semi finals in quite heartbreaking fashion in 2003 with a really good young team that was a team with um Michael Dawson and mm-hmm. Andy Reid and David Prutton and Marlon Harewood if you who you know was actually a very Marlon Harewood's a good player very good player Spe- for, especially at that level yeah for 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 a little, for a while he was a he was a really good I mean particularly then when he was very young and um was kind of still relatively raw but scored a lot of goals for Forest um had Darren Huckabee on loan who was um Obviously, a brilliant player at that level, and went on to be a, a, a hero at Norwich. Um, but after that season, there was this real kind of um, opportunity to build on 
that kind of success, uh, that kind of team and that success under Paul Hart and um, and it, it didn't happen. Forest didn't really sign anyone, and it all kind of collapsed from there. The team broke up, and obviously. Reed and Dawson was sold. I think the following year, maybe the year after. We well, took um, them both off your hands, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was it was eerily similar in January. There was this kind of very promising team with a manager who had he had a certain uh, he had a, a style of play and didn't really have an alternative style of play, but it could have worked if you know they signed an extra uh, striker to take the load off Lewis Graben or they'd signed. Uh, another winger to give an option when the you know the, the 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 starting two wingers were knackered, or had maybe signed I don't know another left back or something like that. But uh, they just didn't do anything, and no one uh, no one reasonable was expecting for us to you know spend five million pounds on someone or you know try and I don't know rival West Ham for Jared Bone or someone like that. But it was that nothing was done. That that was the that was the sort of kicker that eventually came back to bite them. I feel like in a strange way that actually, like you, you're quite right. You're not expecting like championship sides to spend huge amounts of money at the moment. But I feel like because of the um, because of the climate in the Premier League, there are a lot of clubs who want to get players temporarily off their wage bills, and there's a little bit of opportunity in that, like for the loan market certainly. Um, you talk about glut of um, glut of players and it's kind of the um, slightly muddled recruiting. Who is talk me through the the structure above? Well, Chris Hooten's come in, um, good man, uh, good coach. What does the structure look like above him at the moment between him and the owner? Mm, interesting question. Um, there is, there are, all the, there, there certainly have been in the last six months or so um, a number of people with all the sort of job titles that you would expect from a modern forward-thinking football club. So there's a sporting director and there's a head of recruitment and there's a head of international recruitment or something like that. Um, one of which was... Uh, so someone's called... watched, a, watched a documentary, basically. <laughs> yeah, right. kind of, yeah. So they've, they've asked someone to you know, compile a report about what a football club should look like. Ah, and, there, and there you yeah. go. Um, uh, one of them, a guy called Jose Inigo, was, I think, the head of international recruitment, I think he was. Um was kind of arrived a little while ago, um, you know, much was made of contacts and so on and so forth. Um, I believe there was at some point there was a link up with uh, Uncle George Mendes, who, uh, you know, is obviously doing his thing to great effect at Wolves. Um, and this guy, a couple of weeks ago, it emerged that this guy, Jose Nigo, had been uh, arrested in France for something or other, at which point it was then kind of hurriedly the news was hurriedly ushered out that his contract had actually ended at Forest in the summer and uh, he wasn't involved anymore as far as I'm aware this wasn't you know th- th- this was the first that anyone knew or, or any, that they had made any public acknowledgement that he was no longer involved in things which sort of sums up the way that um, that you know that Forest are run and are governed that it sort of you know no, no, there was no forethought to any of this. It was just sort of this news would was ushered out at a time where to kind of um, alleviate a little bit of embarrassment. But you know, there are there there are there are um, theoretical structures in place. Um, apparently, he, he wasn't the the man solely in charge of transfers. But apparently, Sabu Lamucci had plenty of involvement in. Um, uh, in you know the recruitment and the selection of the, all the transfers this summer, which made it you know even more strange that he was sacked after four games. Uh, on the surface of it, the the collapse at the end of last season and the fact that Forrest lost those four games doesn't make it a particularly surprising decision. But um, having decided to stick with him in the summer after that collapse and then giving him a, um, a, a kind of key role in signing these 13 players to sack him just sort of speaks to the sort of muddled thinking. Um, there was a lot of uh, optimism from people who kind of know more about what goes on at the club than I do when the current owners came in a few years ago. Um, that seems to have now more or less disappeared and while we're not quite at the levels of the chaos that existed at the club under Fawaz Al-Hasawi a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it's sort of trending that way, as I believe the the phrase is at the moment. So Chris Heaton is obviously a, a, a very well-respected manager at that level. Uh, Pro doesn't get the respect at the higher level that he's due. I mean, he's still been promoted three times in the championship, I think. Um, has anything changed to accommodate him, Nick? Well, it's it's difficult to say. Um, he will undoubtedly have been made kind of assurances and promises because this wouldn't have been the first job that he would have been uh, offered since uh, leaving Brighton. I think he was he he they, he, he was almost uh, appointed Bristol City manager. I think that's right. Yeah. Um. So promises, no doubt, will have been made. The, the the I mean, the honest answer is I don't know whether anything has changed. Or and it or what has been kind of promised to him, but of course the you know uh, the real answer will come in time. It doesn't really matter what's been promised to him. It it, it matters what is actually put in place or or you know or what is done in the the coming few months, um, which historically has the, there is a gap between. Uh, and not just with this ownership, with previous ownerships, and you know the one before uh, uh, Al Hasawi, things have been said, and um, the reality often does not line up to the things that have been said and the things that have been promised. Um, so the simple answer is, I don't know, and even if I did know, um, who knows whether it would actually yeah. kind of come to fruition. And what's the response been like from the fan base? Because obviously, like, start of this season, uh, the conditions around the country, the general state of football, um, that's enough to suck the life out of pretty much anyone. But has is this a, a well-received appointment? The thing about pretty much everything that Forrest have done this summer um, is that you can, in isolation, you can make cases, or, or not even make cases, Pretty much everything in isolation looks like a very sensible decision. So, for example, you could go through most of the 13 players that have been signed so far and go, yeah, that makes sense. Like, for example, you know, signed Cyrus Christie, who is probably better than the two existing right-backs that Forrest already had on the books. Um, Scott McKenna is apparently... uh, You know, I confess I don't watch enough Scottish football to to know about him, but people who know much more about him, say he's the real thing, and particularly at championship level. Knockhart so, is, at championship level, a really good player, potentially. like he's not, Yeah, yeah not, Knockhart, exactly the kind of thing that Forrest need. Uh, Lyle Taylor, uh, exactly the sort of player that Forrest needed yep. as someone who could support and um, uh, and frequently step in for Lewis Graben. Uh, Jack Colback, again, very decent championship level player, needed someone to fill the role that Ben Watson left when he when he left the club in the summer, um, sacking Lamucci after such a bad run of results, entirely kind of in the context of modern football anyway, entirely understandable decision. Appointing Chris Hooten, ideal, perfect. It look, the, the the exactly the sort of theoretically exactly the sort of manager that you want when you got a squad full of theoretically talented. Players at the championship at championship level um, who need someone to just kind of knit them all together and make sense of it all. The problem is that there all of these theoretically sensible decisions are um, being made in this kind of general maelstrom of chaos that you know that that is kind of partly. Um, brought about because there are so many of these decisions you know it would have made as a whole it would have made more sense if you know five of those decisions had been made this summer if you know they'd they'd signed four or five players to complement the quite strong team that Forrest already had and then you know maybe change the manager to better suit those players but it's the complete change of everything and the the ripping up and starting again after you know what was objectively um, the best season that Forest have had in quite a long time. Um, obviously, it's the 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 context uh, is that Forest collapsed horribly at the end of last season, but we finished seventh and very close to getting into the playoffs. 
when a couple of seasons ago we only survived on goal difference on the last day of the season. Hey, that was a really strong championship last season as well. I mean, it's uh, not it, exactly, you know, it wasn't a weak year. Exactly. So it it is um, the kind of overarching kind of context, if you like, if that doesn't sound too stupid a, a way of framing it, um, that makes you wonder whether anyone really knows what they're doing and makes you wonder whether um, any of these decisions are actually sensible when kind of brought together and coerced as a whole. And the you know appointment of Hewton exemplifies that, really. Theoretically ideal. Theoretically exactly the sort of man you want in charge of this group of players. And it, it, theoretically the, exactly the sort of man you want to be you know, trying to make sense of an incredibly chaotic club, but you just fear that everything or all of this is going to be sucked into this gaping maw that is Nottingham Forest. What an excellent place that would be to finish. Okay, so tell me, um, am I right in thinking that um, uh, the Athletic is adding a Forest podcast to its repertoire in the you very near would future? be right in thinking that, and I'm, I'm, I'm thanks, Sam. I'm glad you asked. Is it called um, Maelstrom of Chaos? Is that <laughs> it the- should. It should be now. I have actually. Um, we're we're we're, talk- we're making some final plans for that later on today, and I, maybe I should suggest a change of name. No, the the name of the podcast is Two Stars, a Nottingham Forest podcast, okay. which uh, you know, obvious reference to the European Cups and uh, a little dash of um, suitable def- self-deprecation as well. So yes, the this the uh, if all goes to plan, the first episode will be going out. Um, next week, uh, and next week is for people listening out of time of this. It will be on the, I think, the 22nd of October, um, which uh, a few weeks ago we decided that it would be the ideal time to do it because it would be the day before Forest against Derby. Um, now that is starting to look like a less wise decision for in terms of our kind of sanity and, um, you know, general. Um, sort of general morale but it's going to be Matt Davis Adams um who you know presenter of the Totally Football League show um fine commentator all round and um good voice uh, Matt Davis Adams terrific voice great voice for podcasting excellent yeah. um excellent presenter he'll yeah. be presenting um Paul Taylor the Athletics Nottingham Forest correspondent Very will fine be writer. the man yeah will be the man to uh, tell you what's actually going on and then there'll be me on kind of general bullshit duty um just sort of talking around those guys and you know coming in with stupid opinions and stupid theories and then we'll obviously have um uh there'll be interviews on there there'll be uh other guests obviously daniel taylor obviously also the athletic uh long involved with uh forest and lifelong forest fan writer of a number of books about uh about forest so uh, i believe he'll be on the uh hopefully he'll be on the first edition as well um, so yeah, that'll be a weekly Nottingham Forest podcast for um, anyone who wants to enjoy uh, us sort of wallowing in misery, really. Fantastic. Mate, I've enjoyed this. It's been great. Actually, you know what? This has worked. We've kind of, we very deliberately didn't do any preparation for this. And that seemed like a really good idea until about 15 minutes before we started recording. Um, but we, I, I was walking the dog with my wife just before we started. And uh, I, I kind of, my adrenaline started to rise a bit like, I think I should have done something because <laughs> like, it's just, but we got away with it, and it's um. Hopefully, people have enjoyed it, and um. Yeah, as Nick says, go and go and find the new pod as and when it's out. That's a Thursday, isn't it, Nick? The... Uh, we're recording on Thursday. I think it'd be either out on Thursday or, or Friday. I'm okay, Friday morning, sure, fantastic. Yeah, but yes, it'll be certainly from next week. Okay, we'll find that in all the usual places with the uh, the Athletics podcast output. Brilliant. Thanks, Nick. Thank you so much for coming in. No worries. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10 
$10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.